I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Twelve Pack Radio. Get excited, y'all. All right, welcome back everyone to Twelve Pack Radio, live from the Vivid Ticket Studio. That's right, you heard us. <laughs> Rob, how dare you? How dare you cough at a moment like this? Where we are Sorry. live from the Vivid Ticket Studio. And and this is the Twelve Pack Radio, the most interesting podcast in your face, covering Pac-12 football news. And this is Brian Conger. Thank you for joining us. And a lot to talk about. Holy Moses, did we have an interesting game for week zero, to say the least. Um, it was, at least it was entertaining and it was very Pac-12. So we will dive into that and dive into all of the Pac-12 picks coming up this week. There's some really interesting games coming up. Auburn, Oregon, Northwestern, Stanford, uh, even, even you, I'm going to go out there and say, I'm going to say Fresno State, USC, just a little bit. I think USC is going to win, but we'll get into that. Um, just definitely some fun matchups. And to do that with me is, as always, Mr. Rob Bowron, the man, the myth, the legend behind the Beta Rank Advanced College Football Statistic Model. What's going on, Rob? Uh, the, the model had a lousy first two games in a way, but uh, I actually I feel pretty good about the projections other than Arizona's defense. <laughs> well, <I'm laughs> like Florida, Florida made a lot of mistakes, but uh, looked like a good team underneath all of that. So I, I feel pretty good. Well, we're kind of burying the lead. Obviously, you can follow the podcast on 12-Pack Radio uh, on any podcast catcher. Follow us on Twitter at, at 12PAC Radio. But last week, we talked about having another guest uh, this year for this coming year covering Pac-12 football. And we have that guest here with us today. And I'm so excited that he's joining the podcast. He is somebody that gets Pac-12 football, that understands Pac-12 culture and also just speaks gambling he speaks the the beautiful beautiful language of gambling which is a lost art uh in among many circles and that's sports illustrated's max meyer who is just the driving force behind a lot of the content that you see at sports illustrated gambling what's going on max hey guys no just really happy to be part of the podcast and looking forward to another crazy year of pac-12 football evidenced by last night's uh start yeah, started with a bang, and I literally jumped out of my couch when when Khalil Tate was one yard away and going, hey, I thought Arizona was going to lose in overtime, so let's just throw that out there anyway. But but it would have been even more exciting, but you're right. It was um, a very fun game and just so much to break down with Arizona. I mean, you had Khalil Tate running all over the place and then passing all over the place, sometimes to the right people, sometimes not to the right people, and we'll get into that in some of our picks. But before we do, Max, uh, can you take a moment to just kind of highlight your approach to the Pac-12 conference? Um, I, again, you, you speak the, the, lost, the lost language of gambling, so you kind of understand some of the angles to take. But also, if you can just highlight some of the things that you're looking forward to in the Pac-12 this coming year. So um, I guess I really started gambling um, when I was a reporter, when I was a student at USC. And I was definitely one of the younger beat reporters, a lot of experienced uh, 
reporters there. And I knew I needed to stand out with my coverage. And I noticed that none of them would really talk about gambling that much. And so that's the approach that I decided to adopt. And then just from there, I just, you know, just really started looking at the numbers and just reading and prepping. And I really enjoyed Pac-12 in particular because I think that this is the conference of underdogs. You just see a lot of upsets week in and week out. And I personally love to bet underdogs. And with Pac-12 betting in particular, it's just you never see really consistent efforts. It's like Arizona, for instance, like after losing week one against Hawaii, watch how um, in two games they'll blow out Texas Tech or something like that. It's basically the unexpected is what happens continuously with this conference. And I love it. It makes the conference so fun to cover. And it's just so quirky and so funky. And there's a couple teams, hopefully this year, that can make a run. I know that, Max, you had highlighted early in the in the year when they started opening up the lines on who to who to bet on. I think Utah was like a 3-1 to one favorite to win the Pac-12. That's down to like minus like 100 or something you had talked about the season win total at utah being around eight or eight and a half that's up to nine and a half at some books so you're on you're on your ish man you, you know what's going on and you have a good eye for uh, for the the odds that as they come out and as they they move around well i have to admit i'm a little discouraged that i saw lee corso pick utah to be in the championship game this year and i was like wow the utah hype has really gone <laughs> out on. of control <laughs> Might be a good time to uh, to bet on the opposite side there, but no, I, we really do like that Utah team. Um, Rob, any 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 thoughts on Max Meyer joining the podcast? I know this will be a good fit with your advanced metrics and um, his just feel for you know the lines that pop up. And I don't know what do you think? No, this is great. I mean, uh, we we definitely needed someone. Uh, to sort of offset when uh, Bryant and I can sort of get rather down on the conference. <laughs> um, you know, which happens sometimes when you have two nine win teams playing for your conference championship. So um, yeah, but like this, I, I'm, I'm really excited. Like I'm really looking forward to this season. I think this is going to be a great fit for what we're doing. Yeah. Hopefully not two nine win teams this this year again, too. but we'll find <laughs> yeah. out. We'll find out. Uh, hey, Max, let's dive into this Arizona-Hawaii game. So the line opened at 13, moved down to 10 by the kickoff. I, I may have even moved further than that, but I know that it was a three-point swing. And Arizona comes in. You, you know Khalil Tate's going to run the football. You know that they have some running backs behind him that would gas that Hawaii defense. And then there was a lot of hype coming out of camp on the secondary at Arizona. They, they had the two Juco defensive tackles come in and holy goodness, like Hawaii from basically the moment that game started until uh, the end just did not want to lose that game. They had, they had the energy, they had the talent. I, I really liked how Hawaii pushed around Arizona's uh, in the trenches on both offense and defense. Uh, what happened in that game? Why did Arizona end up losing? Well, I mean, you, you definitely have to start with the defense and Hawaii just and, and Arizona started slow out of the gate. And I'm not sure, like um, I was reading that Arizona didn't uh, have time to warm up because of this bizarre, they, they couldn't get like a, a police or their police escort canceled or something like that. And they were late to the stadium. And so it just looked like that they didn't even get off the bus for like the first <laughs> 10 minutes of the game. And then Hawaii went up 14, nothing. And honestly, this game could have been so much worse, but Arizona was kept in it by the six turnovers. Um, but the, the defense, I mean, I was actually, I was actually pretty impressed with, uh, Jace Whitaker. Um, but Ooh, there was no pressure on, uh, Cole McDonald or Chevin Cordero at all. I think the, 
they only got one sack, which was their final defensive play of the game. I'm pretty sure. Um, but it, it was just like uh, Yates constantly uh, sending either three or four guys and, and just letting the Hawaii quarterbacks carve up the secondary for the most part. And on offense, it, it just seems like Arizona granted they, they were down by um, seven or 14 points for the majority of the game, but the running game never got going. And it seems like that was definitely a missed opportunity against the lackluster Hawaii defense. Rob, I went back and listened to the preview podcast. I, had. I want to say a few things. The first is we had a really good record against the spread last year. So I, I do think we know what we're talking about. Uh, with that said, shame on us for taking Marcel Yates and this defense to slow down Hawaii because, and and we had mentioned it on our preview, the fact that we talked about the Hawaii receivers not being super tall, but you had highlighted how they had an ability to, to run in space. That's kind of the whole purpose of that offense is to find them, get them the ball and let them run around. And they, they certainly did. And Arizona just could not figure out how to stop that. So um, I, I wish I had the, the nun shame bell right now because that's what we need. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, come on. Like, so first off, like weeks, like, first off, don't ever beat yourself up over sample size. <laughs> like when you're sitting there, like if you, if you expect us to pick every game correctly over the season, you're going to be disappointed. And there was only one game we picked last week. So <laughs> like, I'm not, I am in no way fussed about that uh, at all. Actually, like the, um, Hawaii gave up a lot of sacks last season. Like even with Arizona sort of mediocre pass rush, you expected them to be able to do better. Um, you know, they just, they just didn't, they didn't show up. They didn't have a good game plan. You know, you, I, I, I don't, I, I could not have predicted that. Right. Like, um, and really Arizona, Arizona's offense. I mean, no, I mean, Arizona's offense wasn't bad in the game. They just, the, the, the defense put them in so many long field, you know, there were so many long field position, uh, you know, uh, starting field positions that Arizona found themselves in. Um, yeah. It, I mean, I, I mean, I feel a little bit bad about it, but I mean, cause it's like, it's not often you take a, a, a double digit favorite and that, loses but i mean what a fluke game i mean arizona has six turnovers plus six or plus four on turnover margin and you don't win the game like that's weird that was super crazy i think one of the things that stood out most in my mind early in the game and i've been seeing this max on twitter where a lot of people are talking about arizona should run the ball more arizona should run the ball more i understand that and certainly they should have run the ball at the end of at the end of of the game when khalil threw that pick in the red zone like it was clear that Hawaii's defense was gassed and you had Khalil Tate and JJ Taylor and uh, Michael Wiley and some of these other running backs just running roughshod over them. And then he ends up throwing the, the pick at like the 10 yard line or whatever. Um, with that said, I was really surprised and impressed by the front seven of Hawaii to contain that running game in the beginning of the, uh, the beginning of the game and throughout the first half. Did you see that as well? Or, or do you think Arizona really should have uh, continued to try to probe and figure out where they can get those yards? Well, I think, I think Hawaii had a nice defensive game plan. I mean, they really only sent, well, in regards to containing Tate for the most part before they were gassed in the second half, they really only sent three and then they were just watching Tate and he did have a couple um, explosive runs, but I think for the most part, they uh, I think they did a nice job on him. And then with the run game, I don't. It, it, I thought the um, definitely the one thing that stood out to me regarding Arizona's offense is that they didn't really do a good job on first down. It just felt like a lot of second and third and longs. And I actually I went back and looked at the box score, 
And I saw in the first half, uh, they had 15 first down plays and six of them went for one yard or fewer. And then in the second half, they had 21 first down plays and eight of them went for a yard or fewer. And I just, I, I thought that just not having a high success rate on first down really, um, limited Arizona's, um, firepower on offense. I think because this isn't a team that's built to really thrive on second and third and long. This is a team that really could use the read option on second and third or medium or short and, and really gash defenses that way. The defensive plan was so terrible that it, it did put all of the focus on Marcel Yates. I thought for the most part, like Arizona's offense was fine. It, it didn't, didn't go nuts. And I, I, Max, those were good numbers in regards to the, those first down plays and whether or not they could actually get the ball rolling. Um, but what did you think about the offensive planning from Noel Mazzoni? Did, is he going to get it done? Is there, cause it did remind me a lot of Arizona's offense last year, just with Tate running a little bit more, but it, it's, it was kind of the same old play play calling as it, as it seemed to me, but it could have just been my eyes. I'm curious what you think. Well, I mean, Arizona last season and uh, we didn't really expect it to change too much was, it was a low efficiency offense. I mean, they go for big plays. So they're, they're not a team that, and, and Mazzoni even gives maybe Tate too much of a green light, I think, to, to throw deep early in the game. Um, but yeah, like they're, they're always looking for, you know, chunk plays to get, to get things going. And the, the I, I think it's, when you go back through, it's some of it's more about like getting Tate into a rhythm early. Like they really struggled when Tate started off a, like the first play of the drive with an incompletion, like things, things really fell apart after that. Um, but they're, they're, they're a team that uh, from the play call, both the play calling that Mazzoni likes to, to lay into as well as Tate's proclivities to throw deep or uh, come up with a big chunk play himself. Like, they're 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 going to spend a lot of this coming season and you know second and nine second and eight second and ten um there but what was interesting i thought what really worked in the first half is when they went to 20 personnel um because it did force tate by taking one of his receivers that may he may have been waiting to get down the field uh it did force him to to find that receiver in a route sort of more in the, either in the flats or an intermediate route. And that really worked. Like they were a little bit more efficient in that. And Wiley, uh, who had a terrific game for a true freshman in his first game, like he, he really did like, uh, he really did move the chains quite a bit. So I, I think that this offense, if Tate runs the football, um, and the receiving core continues to, to, to go, like they're going to be fine. Like they could gain some more efficiency off what they were last year. And I think that would be a big win. Um, but I, I still think Mazzoni and, you know, when you have Tate as the quarterback, you're still going to have a preference for big plays. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not as fussed. Like, Mazzoni's not the guy I would have hired, but he's he's fine. He's a competent offensive coordinator. He's definitely within Arizona's budget. <laughs> so I know a lot of people that listen to 12-pack radio, not, not a ton of Arizona fans. So I want to do, like, a big-picture snapshot here of Arizona moving into the, the coming season. So there are a couple items and assumptions I think we had at the very beginning – that would have led people to believe that Arizona could win more than six or seven games this year. The first thing would be that under year four of Marcel Yates and with a secondary returning, including their top cornerback, um, that they would be able to stop the pass. And that certainly was not um, what I saw on the field. Uh, the second thing, I think, being the fact that uh, Arizona had uh, two JUCO 
big guys fill fill the gaps left by their defensive tackles that left last year. And you had players like J.B. Brown and Jalen Harris. And um, uh, well, let's, let's keep with those four. But enough to put some pressure on the quarterback and enough to be able to rush four often. That certainly wasn't the case. Um, Max, as you're looking into uh, future games for Arizona, was there any other assumptions that you had that kind of <laughs> you no longer have? I know it's just one game, but holy goodness, I think some of the holes, I think the wide receiving core as well, too. Like most of the wide receivers didn't seem to uh, produce, and this was a young core that was taller and bigger that people were excited about. But anything else that uh, gives you some pause as you start to power rank Arizona in the coming season? Well, um, in terms of wide receivers, I, I actually thought Joyner was a nice piece. Um, for Arizona, but I just, I think that this is kind of a fire alarm game for Kevin Sumlin. I mean, year one didn't go nearly as well as, um, people thought, especially with the high expectations from Arizona last year. And then Salute as a double digit favorite to start off this season. I really think he's, this is, uh, especially with the bye week he's really going to have to look inward. And I think the, the Texas tech game, especially with their new staff, I think that's going to be really telling before Pac-12 play, what to expect from this Arizona team. But um, definitely um, lowered them a bit in my power rankings. But then again, they're in the Pac-12 South, and, and there's only one – I think there's only one good team in that division. And so I think that there are, are a lot of winnable games. But in ter- and but for Arizona's case, there's also a lot of losable games. So I, I think just because of the high-powered offense and the non-existent defense, I think this is definitely a higher-variance team. And – It'll be interesting to see which way the pendulum swings when this team plays throughout the season. Rob, we'll talk a lot about this on Wildcat Radio. So if you're an Arizona fan, tune in. We'll, I mean, we'll go in depth <laughs> on this game. <laughs> we have a, we have opinions. Much wailing and gnashing of teeth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, any last words here for 12 Packer Radio in regards to Arizona? No, I mean, I mean, like they're they're I, but I would also say like don't write. I mean, don't write almost anyone off. Max had to get, like, don't write anyone off in the Pac-12 this season, right? Like, the Arizona went out and lost to Houston uh, and got boat raced last season and BYU and still still nearly made a bowl. So um, there's 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 no reason to write anyone off. Also, I mean, like, there was all those years that, like, Mike Leach started off the season by losing to an FCS team and then winning, like, nine <laughs> games. So anything's possible. Yeah, there you go. Um, all right, so we have a number of Pac-12 games to cover, and we wanted to highlight some of the players that we'll be looking out for uh, because we did a Pac-12 draft, Max, and we'll cover some of the players that popped up and that were interesting to us to keep an eye on as we look into the coming games. But we're going to talk about that right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
All right, we're back, and let's talk about some of the players that are on our radar as we look into some of the offensive stars in the conference. And there are a number of them, Max. Um, I was surprised that we we did a Pac-12 fantasy draft, only Pac-12 players, and it, it was kind of wild. We, we were not going to get too nerdy into all of our teams and all of our, all of our picks and stuff, but it, it was really fascinating to see who people think are going to be good and who, who really will end up being really solid players. So who are some guys that stood out in your mind as players that went a little too early or players that you just think that um, are just going to be, you know, home run picks that is going to be scoring like 20 to 30 points every, every week. Um, so actually on, on my, uh, I, I'd never done a Pac-12 fantasy draft before, but I actually tweeted out my, um, my big board before just to, you know, see if I was missing anyone, but, um, a couple running backs that I really like, uh, I think Zach Moss of Utah, he's my number two running back in the conference. I just think that he's really set up to have a strong year. Um, even though I'm not really that high on Washington state's passing offense this year, because I, I just really think that with the new quarterback coming in and, and there's so and they, they have so many wide receivers i think they're like eight deep up in pullman <laughs> and i i don't think that the passing offense will be better than what they had with gardner Minshew last year but i'm still a big fan of max borgie i i think that he especially in a ppr league uh, a points per reception league like we have i think that he's in line for a lot of catches and, and i think that he's a pretty solid natural runner and then out of uh running backs that are going to be um getting a new like feature back role i really like uh Saban ahmed on Washington. Um, I know he doesn't have great size, but gas, but miles Gaskin, their all time leading rusher who is now graduated. He, I, I don't think that he had that great size either, but I, I think I really like Ahmed's explosiveness. Um, and then also in round two, Hunter Bryant, the Washington tight end, he, that's where he went. And I think that he's a total game breaker. And I really think that he could be the best tight end in the country, uh, in terms of, uh, catching touchdowns. I just think that Washington doesn't really have a game breaker um, at wide receiver and that Jacob Eason's going to need to find a target. And Brian definitely has the explosiveness. I think he averaged over 20 yards of catch last season. So those were a couple of the names early, but Brian, I'm sure uh, when you drafted Gage Gabrud second round, that, that, one, you found out that he lost his starting gig. You weren't too thrilled with that. We, I, I, there was a power struggle with my partner and I because I like a lot of Oregon State's offensive players, and he still thinks that Oregon State sucks. And, and Oregon State does suck, but their offense is pretty good. So we were talking about um, a possible tight end and then talking about some of um, Oregon State's players later on, and I'm – I clicked the wrong button and it was and basically it auto drafted Gage Gabrud and I knew that he wasn't the guy. I'm like no, like so it was on me, you know, for all, for all of the the back and forth that I had with uh, our partner Ronnie. Um, it was on me that that uh, we ended up going that route. But uh, hopefully, you know, hopefully he proves himself over the course of the year and takes that job. That's what I'm praying for. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, Rob, what do you think? Who are some players that that would you would definitely put on your big board if you were drafting in the first uh, first two rounds. But I mean, you touched on it a little bit. Like Jamar Jefferson uh, and Octavius Pierce, right? Like those those guys are good. Did I say that? Is it, his first name's not Octavius. I probably, it's like... Artavius. Yeah, it's close. Artavius. Ah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I got a chance to see uh, Oregon State last season when they came to the Horseshoe uh, here in Columbus, and it was a totally different offense. So and I feel like that played out over the years. So uh, if you're looking to pick up value under the radar, you know, some guys on Oregon State's offense uh, would be pretty good uh, there. I think that... Uh, you know, Joshua Kelly at UCLA is going to get a lot of touches again. 
Uh, a lot of people are pretty high on that offensive line, even though they just named uh, a true freshman, I believe, to start at left tackle. No, so we'll times. see how that goes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> top top 20 recruit, you know, at the position, but still, yeah, not, yeah. Great. not a great sign. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, like if, if you look across, like I, mean, I, I think KJ Costello is, you know, still a little underrated. I think that, uh, you know, that Herbert's going to get all the publicity because I think he's a better pro prospect. And that's certainly true. But Costello has been the better college, you know, quarterback. Um, and I, I, I'm not sure that Stanford has refigured out how to run block. So they're probably going to lean on Costello again, though. I'm not sure who he's going to throw to. Yeah. And we'll talk a little bit about yeah. this when we talk about Northwestern and Stanford, but Max looking at Stanford's offense, like, aside from Colby Parkinson at the tight end position, it was just question marks all around. I know one of the, um, not Amon Ross, St. Brown, but the other St. Brown uh, could be a good target. Yo, Cyrus. Those names are great, by the way. That's so good. Um, But who are some other players? If you were to draft anybody else from Stanford, like who's their running back going to be? So you're actually speaking to the right person because I drafted quite a few Stanford players. (laughs) Um, So, Round three, I took uh, Cameron Scarlett, who I, I think is, well, he's definitely in line. to. He's getting the first crack at the starting gig for Stanford. And yes, Stanford definitely um, changed their season when they went more to a vertical passing attack um, late last season when Bryce Love was hurt and ineffective. But I think that it's still in David Shaw's blood, and I think that there will be a running back who gets a lot of touches this year, and my bet's Scarlett, and so that's why I took him three, and especially because all the elite running backs were gone, and so there weren't a lot of starting running backs left, and I had to pair someone else with Zach Moss, so I went with Scarlett. Um, Rob, you mentioned the difference between Costello and Herbert, and I couldn't agree more because Herbert went in round one, and then I got Costello in round five, and I'm thrilled with that. Well, that's, I, a, that's, a, that's a win. Yeah, no, I think Costello's a total gamer. And you're right, he, he was the better quarterback last year, even though Her- Herbert did suffer a lot from drops. But Oregon's wide receivers this year are really, they're not that great once again, and especially because Dylan Mitchell's now in the NFL. So, And, and they've suffered a lot of injuries uh, in the preseason too. So I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not high on Herbert for fantasy purposes, but I had Herbert and Costello basically neck and neck um, and I was happy that it was a four round difference. I was able to sell in round five. And then in the second to last round in round 14, I took a stab. I took a Stanford wide receiver, Michael Wilson, who I think is either oh, going to be yeah. the top target or second target. And I just thought that if Stanford does go vertical again, I, I thought that he was a nice um, late round gamble just because of his upside playing with a strong quarterback. And, um, his ability just, he, he kind of reminds me. And I noticed that you, you put this in your notes too, of like a Trent Irwin type. And I just think that he's one of those wide receivers that's like physical and can go up and get it. And Stanford definitely loves their red zone fades. Um, and he's in line <laughs> to uh, be that guy with, uh, um, our Sega white side now with the Eagles. Yeah, good call. And there, somebody's going to catch that ball. There's going to be a lot of players that a lot of balls that go around for some players. So it's just trying to figure out who it was. Um, yeah, a really fascinating team. And we'll definitely get more into that as we uh, preview the games. Anything else on fantasy guys? No, damn good. It is time. Best day of the year. Best time of the year. Talking about week one bets. And we're going to get into it right now. Hey, um, can I get some Pac-12 gambling advice up in here? Is William Shatner? You want it? Actual gambling lines? You got it. Nice. You want it? Baby. 
Bust a move. Okay. Oh, it feels so good. It feels so good. Week one, lots of games to cover. And right out of the shoot, we have Oregon playing Auburn. Oregon is a three-point dog right now. Um, they're going to Texas. They're playing at Jerry World. So if that offensive line, Rob, of Oregon makes any missteps, uh, it will be on the largest screen in the history of the universe. <laughs> what, do you think of, what do you think about this game? I, I think people are really, in a lot of ways, underrating Auburn, although I was happy to see that uh, the, the coaches had them and, and the uh, AP voters actually had them in the, the top 25, given uh, that Auburn lost a couple games last season. I think they went seven and six. But um, this Auburn team was unlucky against a tough schedule. They were a pretty talented team last season. Um, beta ranks got him as a five point favorite in this game. Um, yeah, it's, 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 this is going to be a tough, tough matchup for Oregon. I, there, there are things to really like, I think, uh, if you're Oregon, um, but there, the, you, you hit on it, right? Like I think Oregon fans, and I think a lot of people are relying on that, you know, total number of, um, returning starts on that offensive line, but Auburn's defensive line is legit. Um, so we will find out if, uh, you know, what Oregon's offensive line is made of. Let's take a look at, um, where both teams grade out, Rob, before we get into some, some different breakdowns here, obviously Bo Nix, the true freshman okay. starting a lot, a lot of really interesting players on Auburn, some really interesting players on Oregon, but well, how does, how does, uh, let's start with the offense. What does Oregon's offense look like and what does Auburn's offense project to look like? So Oregon's offense projects at number 19. They were nowhere near this last season. So they were number 64 last season. They were not a very efficient or very good offense. So a lot of this projection is built on their returning uh, production number um, and their overall recruiting number, which their recruiting is really picked up uh, first under Willie Taggart and then under Cristobal. So this is this is a bit of a, a number where and this is also true of the Oregon defense. Like you really you really kind of want to see it on the field first. Um before you sort of fully buy, you know, buy in as, as we talked about coming into this, you know, Dylan Mitchell's gone. You're, they're really putting a lot on the Penn state transfer, Juwan Johnson. So we'll sort of see there. Auburn comes in on defense projected at number seven. Um, they finished at number 16 last season. They have a decent amount of returning production coming back. Auburn recruits really well. They, they come in 10 at you know, number 10 in the two year rolling recruiting um, number that I put together and used for the projection model. So this is going to be a stiff test for Oregon. Um, I, I think they'll still be able to put up some points, but um, you know, like I said, like if that Auburn defensive line sort of takes over, it could be a long game. Yeah, Derek Brown returns. Max, uh, just a monster on that defensive line. Could have gone in the NFL. Forty-eight tackles, ten and a half tackles for a loss. Uh, but it's not him. He's just got like three or four just massive, massive giant guys, and basically the same guys that had given Washington's offensive line some fits. Uh, what are some other things that you're taking a look at in regards to Auburn matching up with Oregon? Because I just think this both these teams on paper should be better than they were last year, <laughs> right? And uh, didn't quite put it together. But now they they come together and it'll be interesting to see um you know which units end up rising to the top so um like, like rob was saying before i really think this game comes down to the trenches and i took a look at oregon's offensive line last year because i um i think auburn's defensive line is easily a top three unit in the country so i looked when oregon played um what i consider to be really strong defensive lines last year and the two that stood out to me were utah and michigan state and in both games, Oregon's offense really struggled. So uh, the offensive line against Utah, they gave up four sacks, 12 tackles for a loss, 
and Oregon was only able to rush for 3.7 yards per carry. And that game was a loss. I think they lost 32, 25 that game. And then Michigan state in their bowl game, which they won seven to six, they allowed three sacks. They gave up six tackles for a loss and were only able to run for 1.4 yards per carry. So I get that Oregon is returning a lot of starts along the offensive line, but considering that this is a group that played against elite defensive lines in Utah, Michigan state last year, didn't fare so hot. I'm definitely nervous how they, um, will go up against an Auburn defensive line. That's not only one of the best in the sec, but one of the best in the country, Auburn's offensive line. I think that that's definitely an underrated, um, story, at, at least maybe nationally, maybe not locally. So they had to replace four offensive linemen last year. And that group really struggled to start the season. But, um, when they had time to gel, they really, um, did much better at the end of the season. And those were including games um, that were at Georgia and at Alabama. But uh, last year was the first time in a while that Auburn didn't have an 1,000-yard rusher. But their run game really started to be better uh, at the end of last season. And they return all five guys um, on that offensive line. So I think Auburn has the trench advantage. And I think that that's going to go a long way. Uh, because I, I have the Tigers winning this game and covering the spread. Yeah, and when you take a look at Auburn's offense, so they have true freshman Bo Nix, who's starting at quarterback. And I think, Rob, wasn't he the top dual-threat quarterback in the country coming out of high school? He was. He is. Yeah, he, uh, he barely beat out Daniels at Arizona State. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's a really dangerous. And, and you know, a lot, of, a lot of quarterbacks are coming in far more developed than we're used to seeing them. Um, he's, he is a sort of prototypical Gus miles on, you know, uh, you know, spread out of a spread option quarterback. So it could be dangerous. Um, and they don't have, Oregon doesn't have Jim Levitt, um, you know, sort of the, uh, a guy that you sort of trust to be the mastermind behind the defense. Yeah. And then you add Jatavius Whitlow is an interesting guy. Like Max, you had mentioned that it was the first time in like 7 million years that Auburn didn't have a thousand yard rusher. Uh, but Whitlow is interesting because he was a quarterback in high school, was a wide receiving, um, basically prospect coming out of uh, high school. He got picked up by Oregon. They move him to running back. And like you mentioned, it was, it was really the back half of that year that people were really excited about him. So he's a really intriguing athlete behind there. So between Knicks and Whitlow and some of the wide receivers that they have, it'll be really interesting to see if Oregon, uh, that defense, like you mentioned, under a new coordinator can put it together and actually get us, get some stops. Um, I'm taking Auburn as well, Max. I just, um, I, I really hope Oregon wins. I, I want Oregon to be a premier team in the Pac-12. I just don't know if they're there yet. And like you mentioned, Rob, I need to see it on the field. Uh, but what do you think, Rob? Who are you taking in this game? Uh, I, I'm going with I'm going with Auburn. I, I, Oregon still has to prove it to me. Um, I, I really I'm a little skeptical still of their defensive coordinator hire. I don't think Arroyo has necessarily called a, call, a competent offense last season. So they need to show that they can uh, they can hang with the team like Auburn. Any last words on Auburn, Max? Like like Rob was saying, was like I just don't really trust Oregon's coaching staff in this game either. And like new defensive coordinator and Andy Avalos, Arroyo was under fire uh, for his play calls last season, and Crystal Ball had a few um, late game gaps, most notably the Stanford game. And I know Gus Malzahn, it feels like every other year he's on the hot seat, but I, I, I just trust him and Auburn staff more than I do Oregon's, especially in a big game like this. 
Okay. Well, we'll keep an eye on that, man. It'd be such a big deal for the Pac-12, particularly after Week Zero. Fortunately, you know, the Week Zero game was on like CBS Sports Network in Mexico or something, and not everybody watched it at 1030 on the East Coast. Uh, but this will be prime time. I think a lot of people will have their eyes on the game. And what a big boost for the conference if Oregon's able to take care of business. Um, let's move to a game that's kind of sneaky, interesting, and that's Thursday, August 29th, 4 p.m. on ESPN. By the way, all times that we mentioned are Pacific time. We're, we're West Coast, baby. We're doing all West Coast stuff. Um, um, UCLA, a three-and-a-half-point dog at Cincinnati. Rob, another group of five team that can give the Pac-12 some fits. Yeah, the the uh, Cincinnati's a really good team, actually, under Luke Fickle. They projected number 33, um, one of the very best group of five teams coming into with Beta Rank this season. Um, Beta Rank's got them as a as a as another like five point favorite coming in the game with roughly around a 66 percent win probability. They're a bit of a defense first team. Um, Fickle really did a, a good job even when he was with the Buckeyes on the defensive side of the ball. So this is going to be a tough matchup. It was a tough matchup for him last season out in L.A. Um, I'm actually going to be at this game. I, I live in Columbus. I'm driving down. I have tickets. So. Um, I will I will give you guys an update next week from uh, notes I took in person. <laughs> One of the things that's interesting with Cincinnati was um, they returned their top two star corners, they returned their safeties, but they do lose some of their linebacking core and they lose most of their defensive line. And that was kind of a really strong, interesting strength for Cincinnati going into um, just a, a season where they, I think, exceeded expectations based on everybody's <laughs> expectations. I think they won 10 games last year. Um their offense, though, returns a number of people. They return the quarterback, the running back, all wide receivers except their top talent and three offensive linemen. Max, when you're looking at Cincinnati, is this a team that you're worried about uh, knocking off UCLA? Because, man, Chip Kelly needs some momentum coming out of the gate as well. Well, I think it's interesting that the line for this opened at Cincinnati four and a half and it's down to three. But I just I think that's more of like a Chip Kelly reputation based move. I'm not really sure what I see here uh, for UCLA. I think that's a big the UCLA's biggest issue last year was, was their defensive line. They, they couldn't generate pressure uh, in terms of uh, run defense. Their, their stuff rate was also abysmal. And since he, they, they, I mean, with Michael Warren, they, they have a really strong rushing attack and they have a dual threat quarterback in Desmond Ritter, um, who I, I think can really open things up. And I'm just really nervous that you say won't be able to create any havoc plays on defense. And this is a Cincy offense that I think can really bust out some big plays with their run game. Um, and then if Ritter can take the next step um, after winning the A's, uh, the American newcomer um, of the year award, I think that definitely go a long way for Cincy's offense. And then I, I, I definitely trust Fickle as a defensive mind. And I know that they lost a lot of pieces uh, in the front seven, but I don't know this game. I, I think it's going to be a really tough game for UCLA. I really do. Yeah, two things to keep in mind. Uh, Keyshawn Lucier South is not playing in this game. And Bo Calvert, who was in line to at least push for a starting spot as a linebacker, who was one of the top recruits in the country that um, Chip Kelly had managed to bring into Westwood, probably one of the highest recruits that he had brought in, uh, not not academically eligible. So he is gone as well. So two major pieces, eh, one major piece and one intriguing piece not on the field for this game. Three and a half, Rob. Um, any, anything else beta rank that's interesting as we're taking a look at, at who we're taking? Uh, I mean, not, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting that, I mean, you beta rank essentially has a little bit more of a home field advantage than Vegas does, but not much. I mean, they're both roughly right around three. Um, I, I think beta ranks a little high on, on UCLA. Some of it's on, you know, the built-in recruiting that went so well under Mora, um, 
but I, 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 I really have questions about this defense. Uh, you know, Max hit on it with the defensive line. I don't think that they're terribly well coordinated. Asinaro is, I think, still in a little over his head uh, in, in calling this defense. So I, I really like Cincinnati in this game. Okay. And Max, you taking Cincinnati as well? Yep. Oh. So far, 0 for 2 on the Pac-12 this podcast. Oh, my gosh, man. I, I hope I hope we're all wrong. That'd be great if we were all wrong. Um, <laughs> let's move on to uh, – let's go to the interesting games here. So um, let's talk about Utah at BYU. So 7-15 on ESPN. BYU is a 4.5 I'm sorry. Utah is a four and a half favorite, four and a half point favorite going into BYU. This game, Rob, always gives me the heebie-jeebies, man. Like I always think Utah is going to take care of business. Well, it's tough because uh, BYU has been sort of falling off in recruiting, even though some of their on-field performance has gotten a little better. So projections kind of leave them about in the same spot every year, somewhere in the seventies, and they've outperformed that the last couple of years. So, oh, wait, hey, hey, I think, wait, really? Before before you go into that again, one big giant disclaimer, right? These are all preseason projections. Week six, that's the money week, where basically all of the yeah. preseason data is thrown out. So this is a starting point to think about <laughs> these teams as we go forward. Do not gamble. Do not gamble on just based on these preseason projections. Yeah, don't. Yeah, do not gamble on the preseason projections. The the in season model is the one that uh, I'll sort of hang my hat on. But um, it's got. I mean, Utah comes in. They, they're projected at number twenty two in the country. I really like the Andy Ludwig hire. We talked about that. Um, but that said, like BYU does have a good defense. Sataki's got a you know is a bright defensive mind. He's got a good staff under him on the defensive side. They don't have Ty Detmer calling plays anymore, so the offense has a little something more going for it. But Utah, you know, in in the projection model as a you know a thirteen point favorite, I think that's high. However, I think that the line feels low. Even you know if you're going to split the difference, I think I would I would still think that Utah is probably at least a touchdown or more better than BYU. Mm, rival games though, Rob. I don't know. What do you think, Max? I don't because I think this game screams trap. Because everyone is proclaiming their love for Utah this year, and it opened at six and a half, and it's down to five. And I, I think it's going to be a very low-scoring game. So five is, or six and a half, or five, however, whatever the line is. I think that is a lot of points in that type of game. Like I, I feel like it's going to be similar to the Miami Florida game last night in terms of it's going to be definitely uh, high intensity, very physical. Defense is first maybe a, a busted coverage, even though I doubt it, but the Miami and Florida defense are both, are both strong. I don't know. Like I could definitely say like a 24, 20 type of game. Um, I just, BYU's offense really took off when um, Zach Wilson was the quarterback. They start off with uh, Tanner Mangum last year and they really improved with um, Wilson on, under center. And so I think he definitely elevates the uh, offensive ceiling. And then the defense, they do a really, really good job at limiting explosive plays, but that's not Utah's game. It's just really going for like a high success rate, whether it's Zach Moss runs or, or Tyler Huntley, like RPO. This isn't really like a, a big play type of offense, but I just, I, I love Utah's defensive line. Um, I, I think that that's probably uh, the key factor of the game as well as how uh, Huntley and, and Moss return from injuries, but I, I, they, they both healthy uh, in camp. I think Utah wins. I don't think they cover the spread. I think this is a three, four point game for me. Oh, I'm agreeing with Max. This makes me feel really good, Rob. I, I'm going to take Utah. Or I'm sorry. I'm going to take BYU. Um, we have the line right now at four and a half. And if it pops up more than that, then, hey, all the better. Uh, I'm going to take BYU. Who are you taking, Rob? 
I'm taking the Utes. Okay. Give me Andy Ludwig in this game. I, I, I think this Utah. I think they they splashed some money to get Andy Ludwig. I think you know, uh, Fotu and uh, Bradley and they have themselves a game. Okay, that, and I hope they do. And again, I have Utah winning the game. I just think. At BYU, there's some defense there. I think there's going to be some some crowd noise is going to be bothersome. First game under a new offensive coordinator. I think Utah has to get a few kinks out in the first half before they get into that second half. So um, we'll keep an eye on that over-under, by the way, on the first half uh, line there. Um, let's move on to, oh yeah, this is interesting. Friday, August 30th, 7 p.m. on ESPN. Colorado State is a 12.5 point dog um, against Colorado. This is on a neutral field. And talk about enigmas in the Pac-12 this year, Rob. We have Colorado, a team with a new coaching staff, an interesting quarterback, a a brilliant wide receiver, and just a bunch of question marks on defense outside of a couple of their linebackers. What do you think? Yeah, so the projection model has Colorado coming in at 57. It really is down on Colorado State having them at 110. Um, It's got – I mean, Baderink's got this as basically a push versus Vegas. It's uh, it's got it at a 12.96 – uh, spread for Colorado, um, 84% win probability. It's, I'd be, even if, and as Max alluded to, like I, and I, I wasn't very big on the Jay Johnson hire. Um, but we'll, we'll either. So we'll see. I mean, if they really are committed to running the football, that's a, that's a crazy thing to do with, uh, Montez and Chenault (laughs) sitting there. You know, Max, when we take a look at Colorado and Colorado State, one of the things that screams off of the uh, the paper is how much Colorado State um, is likely not going to be great <laughs> this year. They have an inexperienced uh, offensive line. You know, their quarterback, Colin Hill, returns. He wasn't that great. Uh, they lost their top running back. They lost their top two wide receivers. Um, just a team that, you know, like has had some success, though, in the past, but it just seems like Colorado's had their number over the, uh, the course of that rivalry as it's happened the last couple of years. Yeah, and no, I, I agree. But I, personally, I'm going to stay like I probably will not be betting on this game. It's just it's too much uncertainty to me with, with the two new staffs. And I'd rather look and see. Um, before making any judgments with either, except I really don't, I really don't expect either team to fare that well this season. Um, I'm definitely going to be uh, interested to see uh, who emerges out of the Colorado backfield. Uh, interestingly enough, just to quickly go back to the fantasy, um, when I made my big board, uh, someone uh, tweeted at me uh, that I didn't have uh, Jaron Mangum on, on the board. And he's a freshman running back who's really emerged um, for Colorado at camp. And I reread everything and, and he was right. And so he's definitely one player that I'm keeping my eye on, especially if Colorado goes with a run heavy approach on offense, but the Buffaloes, they, they have some strong pieces and not just on offense with Montez and Chenault, but even on defense with like Mustafa Johnson. And so they have talent. And I really, I really, if, if I have to lean one way, I'll go with Colorado but this is just this is a stay away game for me personally. They have this really fast kid out of Mississippi, um, and his name escapes me right now. But you're right. There's like two or three dudes on that defense that you're like, oh, I would really like that player on my team. So uh, you know, I'm not saying that there are that the the defense is going to be a disaster, but just there are a lot of question marks all throughout and like basically each position group. So um, I'm going to take Colorado. I just think Colorado state is not good. And I, I trust, I'm going to trust this coaching staff. I'm going off on a limb right now and just want trusting them to cover the spread. I think there's enough tools on offense. There's enough pieces on defense to, um, to comfortably win this game. And Rob, are you taking Colorado as well? 
Uh, yeah. I mean, if you look across the coaching staff, there's one person that you really trust and it's Mel Tucker. Right. So I think they have enough pieces on defense to really shut down the Rams. Okay. Um, next game we have, and there's a couple real good ones in here in this next grouping. Let's talk about them right after this. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, the home stretch, the home stretch. We're getting to our last grouping of games and some really interesting ones. This one, not as interesting, not going to lie. Uh, 7 p.m. on Pac-12 Network. Kent State is a 24-and-a-half-point dog at ASU. And uh, frankly, guys, I, I was just curious, Rob, with your numbers. I, I've been looking at all these teams. I got all these numbers and stats and stuff, and I got to Kent State, and I'm like, whatever. <laughs> I just kind of moved on. <laughs> so I'm curious what Baderang thinks about Kent State because they weren't good last year. I know that. No, so Beta Rank's got them at 118 coming into this season. Um, it's got Arizona State at 44. Uh, so it's it's it, it definitely likes the Sun Devils here. Uh, it doesn't like the Sun Devils quite as much as the spread, though. It's only got them as an 18-point uh, favorite, roughly. So, um, yeah, it's – and it the, a lot of Arizona State's projection here is built on them being able to continue what they were doing offensively last season. Um that's that's is a little bit of an open question to me. I think in this game in particular, where you've got Jaden Daniels breaking in, uh, you know, breaking in as a new quarterback, and you don't have Nikhil Harry to throw to. Max Jaden Daniels, freshman quarterback, steps in for his first game. He does have uh, Brandon Ayuk. He does have Eno Benjamin. He has some tools to work with, um, but thir- twenty-four and a half. That that's a lot of points, even though it's at home. I agree. I, I think 25 points is is too high for my liking to back a freshman quarterback. And also, I mean, Kent State's defense was miserable, but offensively, there's at least some kind of intrigue. I mean, Woody Barrett, their, their quarterback, he was a former Auburn commit, and, and he's a dual-threat guy. But I am Arizona State's defense actually really impressed me last year with the amount of young players that they have. And I think that that unit can definitely take a step up. Um, but I, 25 points, I, I think that's just way too many points to lay for an Arizona State team that I think was lucky to finish with the record that they did last year. They had a, um, with some of the close games that they won. And I just, I can't back a true freshman at that price, especially a Pac 12 team um, quarterbacked by a true freshman. I'm going to take them. I'm going to take those points. Or I'm sorry, I'm going to lay those points. I, I, I don't know. I, I like. I like ASU. I like the direction the ASU is going. I think there's been a couple of questionable coaching decisions over the course of last year, but I just think Eno Benjamin and that running attack is going to be able to rack up points and gas that uh, that Kent State defense by the end of the game. Uh, plus, you have Jaden Daniels, so everybody talks about his throwing, but he is a dual threat quarterback. I'd be interested to see how many carries he gets and whether or not he's going to keep that defense honest. So um, I'll, I'll lay the points. I'll take ASU. Uh, they're going to win anyway, so I guess it really doesn't matter. But uh, throw me down there. Anything on ASU, Kent State, anything else? Wow, that is bold given how Herm likes to slow the game down. So if he really slows the game down, like you could be looking at, you know, fewer than 12 possessions per team. Kent State, I, like I Kent State's number nine in returning production. Like I, I give you the golden flashes. 
And then I also, I still think the total of 62 is too high. Yeah. Oh, that's like good. I, I, I would, I, I would, I would take the under there. No, I, I'm with Rob. I think that it's, it, like, I know I shouldn't be leaning that direction given what Kent State's or Kent State's strengths are, but I think Herm is going to slow it down. I, I think he's going to try and ease in um, his true freshman quarterback's first career start. And I don't really think you'll see a lot of shots taken by Daniels, and especially when you have a, a workhorse like you know Benjamin. And I just think it's going to be run, run, run. And yeah, I, I, I don't see Arizona state really blowing them out that much or a lot of points being scored. Like, I don't know. Like I, I see like a, maybe a 35, 18 type of game, something like that. Okay. Okay. I'm going to stick with my guns. I, 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 hopefully it's a 35, like 10 game. <laughs> that would be, that'd be a little bit better. Um, but no, that's a good point, particularly with, with her slowing the game down. So, uh, duly noted. So if I lose this one, you guys, you guys can hang that, uh, over me as we go into the next week. Um, another really interesting game here, Oklahoma state, a 15 point favorite going into Corvallis to play the Beavs. Really fun offense on Oregon State side and a really fun offense uh, in regards to Oklahoma State. I think there's going to be roughly a gazillion points scored in this game, and it'll be quite fun to watch. Uh, but I'm curious what your numbers say, Rob. Yeah, so the Oregon or, uh, Oklahoma State was an underrated team last season as far as, you know, wins and voters going, you know, where like the they, they finished the season pretty well in beta rank. Um, they had the number 10 offense in the country last season, 69 on defense. So that's not great, but they were good on special teams at number six. Um, they're they don't return a ton on offense. They're number 91 on uh, returning production there. But I really like the offensive coordinator hire that they just made. Mike Gundy makes terrific hires. Um, so the the projection model, the, the standard model, has them at 31. I have a new model I'm working on that tries to take into coaching and development effects. That model has Oklahoma State at number 18 coming into the season. Um, this is this is a really good Oklahoma State team, I think, and uh, I, I I like them in this game. Uh, Oregon State does not. I think Oregon State. I've got them projected at like one fifteen or something like that. Hey, Rob, yeah, one fourteen. One fourteen. Yeah, the one thing that was interesting. I know Oklahoma, I know Oregon State's defense is atrocious. I understand that, um, but Oklahoma State's defense wasn't that good last year. What were their numbers yeah. last year? Do you remember? So they finished out at number sixty nine. Um, oh. They weren't. There weren't an overwhelming defense, um, and you do. Lo- I mean, I, I like the the Oregon State offense to take another step forward this season beyond what the sort of model projects. But they're going to have they're they're likely get like as as often happened to them last year. They're going to have to go seventy five yards every time <laughs> to get points. Max, I'm curious. What do you think? I, I I kind of was leaning towards Oregon State. I know their defense is terrible. But I just love the fact that they can throw the ball around. I think it's going to be a shootout. And oftentimes, you know, in a shootout, take the points. But, um, but man, Oregon State's defense was so terrible last year. Weird things happen in Corvallis, especially on Friday nights. And, I, and Oregon State's defense was, well, it, it was historically bad last year. But I think Jonathan Smith's year two, I don't think that it can be as bad as it was last year. And they do – they return a lot, which I guess might not be saying much given how poor they were, but I just think having another year um, under that system will help um, Oklahoma. I mean, uh, you're right with the uh, offensive coordinator hire. 
uh, former OC of Princeton. And, and, uh, I actually watched some YouTube of Princeton offense, which I wasn't expecting to do this off season, but just some really innovative play calls. Um, but they don't know who their starting quarterback is going to be, even though they do have one of the best wide receivers in the country and in, in town and Wallace, uh, and they, ha- and their running back, even though they lost justice Hill to the NFL, um, he really, uh, came onto the scene, uh, Chuba Hubbard last year. Um, when Hill was out for the season. So I definitely think Oklahoma state has the offense, but I don't know. I, I like Oregon state's offense. I think that, um, that their rushing attack can gash Oklahoma state. And I just don't think that their defense will be as bad as last year. And I think that they're going to make, they're going to try and make a statement with this opening game. And I don't think that they pull off the upset, but I will take them to cover the spread. I'm going to do that too. You, you, uh, you said everything that in my heart swelled three times in regards to Oregon State. <laughs> I really want this Oregon State team to be good this year. I know they're not going to be great, but um, you're right. It, it's at home. I think there's going. I think it's going to be a shootout. And like same thing with Arizona, Utah. Like if it's a shootout, just take the points. So I'm going to take the points. 15's a lot, and that might bump up a little bit as we go towards the game. I do think that like it might be 16 or 16 and a half as we go forward. Once people realize, holy crap, Oregon State's defense was a mess last year. Um, Rob. Talk, you want to talk me out of this, or are you just going to let me hang my uh, – <laughs> you're going to sell me the rope? No, give me the Cowboys. I mean, yeah, they're replacing a lot on, on offense, but is the, I mean, do we have any doubt in our minds that Oklahoma State's offense is not going to be very, very good under Mike Gundy? Like, no. Like, they're going to be great. Um, and Oregon State's off defense, they return a ton, but they were – Oh, they were bad last season. And I don't I don't think they're they've got some JUCO help coming in, but I think it's signed to come in next year. Um, I'm just I'm not there. I'm, I, I, this Oregon State defense has to prove it to me before I buy in. So I'll, I'll take Oklahoma State in this game. Yeah. And Max, that defensive line for Oregon State was and is a mess like it, it will if it improves it's not going to improve by a ton I think they just didn't get the talent there to get in. They got these really, really giant overweight guys that now well not overweight, but like there were some conditioning problems for last year and this year in camp. So that, that is, that is worrisome, but hopefully, hopefully they could at least keep it close. Um, let's move to Saturday, August 31st noon at the PAC 12 network, Eastern Washington at Washington, no spread on this game. Let's not break this down a ton. Um, but, uh, you know, like anything that we should be looking for, anything you're going to keep your eye on max. Uh, well, I mean, Washington has to replace pretty much everyone from that loaded defense last year. And while Eastern Washington's uh, starter last uh, last season, Gage Gabrud, transferred to Washington State, I still think that this offense can not light up Washington, but I think that they could definitely, um, you know, let loose on a couple big plays here and there. So it, I think that this game actually, like, I don't think it'll be like a single possession game, but it wouldn't surprise me if Washington wins by like 10 to 14. I just, and especially I mean, Jacob Eason, he's barely had any game action the past two seasons. I think he's, he's thrown like seven passes over the, over the first few years. And I really like Savon Ahmed and Washington's offensive line is really good, but I, st- I just have a lot of questions about the, um, about the defense and about Eason. So I wouldn't be surprised if this game is much closer than people think it will be. Okay. Do you share that sentiment, Rob? 
Yeah, I think that there's going to be some bumps here. I, I think that they really struggled with Hamden last season, um, and we've talked about that. Um, I think they still have to clean up some of the offensive line play that they had last season. And, and Eason, you know, he's, he might have some he might have some growing pains coming into this game. So, yeah, and as as Max pointed out, they're they're 130 in returning production on defense. So this this defense, I don't expect them to be. I expect them to be good. I don't expect them to be great next season or this season. Okay. Well, let's move on to a more interesting game. 1 p.m. on Fox Northwestern, a six and a half point favorite at Palo Alto, playing Stanford. Northwestern has Patty Fisher returning, the NFL type, you know, prototype linebacker. Hunter Johnson, a five star Clemson transfer, who I, as of this morning, has not been announced as the official starter for Northwestern. But I would be, I would be surprised if that wasn't the case. And uh, you know, Max, Rob, and I have talked about Stanford ad nauseum on this podcast. I'm curious what you think uh, in regards to what your expectations are for that Cardinal team this year. So Stanford's interesting because they do have um, elite talent at some key positions, like quarterback, they have Costello, left tackle, they have Walker Little, cornerback, they have Paulson Adebo. And even though David Shaw can be frustratingly conservative at times, he's still a good coach in my book. But there are just so many other question marks regarding the team. Um, The rest of the offensive line really struggled. Um, especially in, in run blocking last season at running back and wide receiver. Uh, they lost um, a lot of production there. Um, and then linebacker, they lost two of their start. They lost both their starting linebackers last year. It's just that they have to replace a lot and they weren't, it, it, it just didn't feel like the Stanford of old last season, especially on offense and then defense. It just wasn't as physical. So I'm really interested to see this game, but I'm pretty down on Stanford as well. I think that I, I feel like that they win like six or seven games this year. Um, and then regarding the opener, it just seems like Pat, Pat Fitzgerald like thrives as an underdog um, with Northwestern and I, and they lost Clayton Thorson, but I don't know. I think that this is another low scoring game where Stanford wins, but wins by like three or four points. Rob, I'm going to take Northwestern. I think that Northwestern is uh, definitely going to cover the spread. And you know what I'm going to do? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to sprinkle a little money on that money line. What do you think about that? I, I agree with you. I mean, Beta Rank's got this as a true toss-up between the teams. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, Northwestern actually is is almost every year a terrible, terrible offensive team, um, but. Fitzgerald can coach defense. I, I believe in this this you know Northwestern defense to show up. Stanford, I don't know what to think of them really. Like they seem like their defenses it was okay. They were improved, but they were still only okay last season. Um, you know, I I think Paulson Adebo is really the truth. Like I think he's one of the best players in the Pac-12. But there's not a lot else other than KJ Costello to, to hang your hat on. And and we talked about this with Hippoday. Like if if they get pressure on Costello he gets happy feet and doesn't set his feet he can make some bad throws mm, mm, we're all on Northwestern that's exciting that's yes. exciting okay okay um anything else to mention in regards to Northwestern Stanford uh Max um well I, I guess we did touch on Cam Scarlett and about like Osiris St. Brown and, and um Mike Wilson but I just really interested to see what Stanford player skill position players emerge besides Kobe Parkinson yeah, yeah, that'll because be- I think that's been a, a giant mystery to the fall camp. That one kid, uh, I think it's Weddington, Connor Weddington, was like I think he's like five yeah. nine. 
a really highly rated recruit coming out of high school. And, you know, it was interesting. I was listening to some stories and some podcasts about them possibly moving him over to running back at some point or like just they're just trying to fit him into the offense. So exactly to your point, you know, Max, what are they going to be able to do with him and and what skill players are going to step up? So good call there. Next Next game, 7 p.m. on the Pac-12 Network, New Mexico State, a 31-and-a-half-point favorite at Washington State. Look, this New Mexico team is not good, Rob, but I'm just curious. <laughs> That's a big, big freaking spread. Yeah, so uh, Baderank has Washington State coming in with a bit of a post-Gardner uh, Minshew bump at number 36. They're really projecting the offense to be reasonably good again, I think. Um and then the defense last season, you disagree. You're still wrong. Like the defense was not great last season. They they mostly had a really, really good field position because their offense was so good. Um, but, I mean, even with New Mexico State being projected at 120 in this game, Baderank's got this only as like a 19 and a half point spread. So, I don't know. That seems like an awful lot of points. And I, I, I just – I have seen this movie before. I am not saying <laughs> – I am not saying Washington State is going to lose this game because I think that is crazy. But I've also seen Mike Leach have some seriously slow starts in the season. Oh, absolutely. There's a total Mike Leach factor here. I'm definitely <laughs> taking those points, 31 and a half. What do you think, Max? No, I'm, I'm with you guys. And I just, I'm not as optimistic about the Washington State offense, even though I really like Max Borgie. But um, considering that they're replacing Gardner Minshew with Anthony Gordon, um, I mean, Gordon did beat out Gage Cabrud, who, who most people assume would be the starter. So I, I, he definitely has looked good at camp. But I, I just don't think that the Washington and I mean Washington State's offense it's not it's not explosive. They just it's like death by a thousand paper cuts. They just it's like a bunch yeah. of short passes. So I, I don't see a lot of like quick like three play eighty yard drives. And I think that's going to be kind of tough to cover as like a, a mid thirty point favorite. Um, you definitely, if you're betting on uh, on a heavy favorite like that, you'd, I think you'd rather be betting on an explosive offense, one that can generate like two or three play drives, and that's not Washington State. Um, and then just on on, on defense, uh, I think losing Jalen Thompson uh, to the NFL uh, is a big blow because he he's one of the better safeties in the Pac-12, and I know Tracy Clays is a good defensive coordinator, but. I don't know. I, I, I think way too many points for Washington state to be favored by. So I'll take the dog here too. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm curious to see how that quarterback does. I just, uh, redshirt senior. And again, props to Mike Leach, right? Right. He had a real quarterback contest between a uh, transfer grad transfer and his quarterbacks. And he went with hopefully the right decision. I hope Washington state uh, is kind of one of those backdoor teams that's able to uh, perform pretty well in a pack 12 that, there should be a lot of parity this year. Um, 7.30 is the last game on Saturday on ESPN. Fresno State is a 13.5-point favorite at USC. And, Max, the floor is yours, sir. You you are the expert on USC. I'm curious what you think. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it. Um, a lot of pressure that was started off after, uh, especially because I don't get to hear Rob's beta rank projection first. <laughs> but this is actually a game where I'm going to go with the favorite here just because Fresno state loses a lot, especially on offense. Um, and USC, it's just that the public sentiment's really down on this team, but they do return a, um, a decent amount back, especially on, uh, I mean, they have one of the best wide receiver groups in the country. 
I think JT Daniels, he definitely had a subpar freshman year, but I think with Graham Harrell as new offensive coordinator, I think that he can make a jump. Um, and then also I really like USC's defensive line and USC has struggled in the trenches, um, in years past, but they really have some pieces like Jay, uh, to uh, they have a freshman, um, Drake Jackson, who, uh, he's been getting comparisons to Leonard uh, Williams in his freshman year. And Leonard was an absolute monster for USC then. Um, and then also Christian Rector, he was their best, best pass rusher last season. So I, I really like USC's defensive line and and I think that they can cause some havoc against a Fresno State offense that has a new quarterback. Uh, They have to replace their top three wide receivers, which is good for a USC secondary, which has to replace a decent amount. I just don't really see, I I don't think that Fresno State's going to score a lot of points and they do have a really stingy secondary, but I just think that they're going to have trouble guarding the level of caliber of wideout that USC has with their trio of Amon Ross, St. Brown, Michael Pittman, and Tyler Vaughns. Hey, very well put, Max. Rob, USC certainly has some talent. That secondary will be really interesting. It's all five-star players, but they're all young. Like, no experience uh, back there, basically, to speak of. Um, but still, the athleticism's there, the talent's there. It'll be interesting to see if they can put it together. And like Max mentioned, Fresno State, not a lot returning. I think everybody is pointing to the Fresno State that went out and smacked. Was it ASU or Oregon in the mouth? I think it was ASU. Um, ASU. Yeah, a team that had a nasty, nasty defense. They do return a couple corners there, like Max mentioned, but 129th in returning production. What does Baderink say about this uh, this matchup? I mean, they're 127 on offense. They're 122 on returning production on defense. I mean, they are every, – everybody is gone. I mean, last season you would have – and Vegas would have taken Fresno State as a favorite against USC this season. With all of that missing, it's it's a little tougher. I I think Tedford has done a really terrific job, and um, I think the defense, which last season graded out at number fourteen in Beta Rank, and Beta Rank is not usually high as as high as some other models on Group of Five uh, units. Um, you know, so that's a legit number. But their 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 offense only graded out at sixty one. Um, I, I, I mean, USC's offense was just a mess last season, but I, I think, you know, the air raid's going to simplify things for, for Daniels. Um, and yeah, they, you know, even with Brew McCoy being sick, USC is going to go deep enough on wide receiver. I think they're going to be tough to handle. Plus they actually have tight ends that they can use. And if, if Harold's smart, he'll, he'll run, he'll mix in some running the power in the way that Oklahoma does with the air raid concept. So I, I I like. I mean, it's tough because in in beta rank right now, what has it got it at? It has it at USC is a seventeen, almost eighteen point favorite. Oh, uh, in the model, but I, I I do worry a little bit because beta rank the projection model loves USC's recruiting. It's got their recruiting at number five, um, and so USC gets a ton of credit for recruiting really well. Although we've seen over the last couple of seasons, they've mostly just squandered that talent. So um, I don't know. I'm I'm still I'm going to take USC in this game. I, I I buy in a little bit on that the offense is going to be better, and I think Fresno State's going to struggle breaking in so many new players. I'm going to take Fresno State. Jeff Tedford is my boy. I think that the secondary, Juju Hoos and Jerron Bryant, who are excellent, excellent secondary players for uh, for Fresno State, are going to throw a little bit of a wrench in that passing offense. I think 13.5 points 
is a lot for this coaching staff to overcome um, just at the beginning of the year as they're trying to get their kinks out. So um, I get you. I actually agree with everything you guys are saying, but I just think that Tedford and that coaching staff has an upper hand in 13 and a half. Um, that doesn't worry me as much. I think USC wins this game. I just think they, they run into some hiccups or maybe Fresno State covers backdoor. So I'll take Fresno. Um, anything else that we should cover before we sign off here this week? Well, just a, oh, a couple more notes, I guess, on the USC game. Not not that I'm trying to sway you or anything, <laughs> but definitely, definitely USC's offensive line, that's going to be the big question coming in because that's the unit that can really make the offense either soar or crumble. And, it, and that was definitely the reason behind the offense, or a big reason behind the offense crumbling last year, especially when they, have, when they had a center uh, who couldn't snap the ball. And, and there were so many snaps that flew over Daniel's head. It was kind of crazy. But Fresno's defensive line, they do return um, some players there, but they, they weren't really disruptive. Um, they, were, they ranked 105th in sack rate last season, and they ranked 112th in stuff rate. And if you're not forcing negative plays against USC, I think that that could, I think that that could give Fresno State a lot of trouble. And then also, I actually prefer the first half spread in this game compared to the full game just because USC – they got off to some really uh, strong starts in games last year. Like they, they led by double digits in a majority of their games, but then by like halftime and Clay Helton was out coached with second half adjustments. That's kind of where USC uh, began to crumble. So I think USC minus seven first half would probably be my best bet for this one, especially because I Jeff Tedford is such a, a great coach and he definitely has the advantage over Helton. But I just, I, I just don't see how Fresno competes in this game. But USC's un, underachieved a lot over the past few seasons. So you never know. But I'll, I'll go with the Trojans here anyway. Yeah, we'll see. Good. And X, it's been really good to have you on this podcast. Like, I think you add a ton of knowledge and depth. And I'm really excited to record with you as we go through this entire season, just breaking down these games. Um, oh, the one thing we should mention, if you have not signed up for our uh, Pac-12 Survivor Pool, uh, go to our website, sharpcollegefootball.com, click on the icon and, and play. Basically, all you do is you pick one team, one Pac-12 team to win each week. And if they win, don't worry about the spread. They just have to win. If they win, you move on. If they lose, you're eliminated. And you can only pick each team once in the year. So you have to be pretty strategic about how you how you uh, pick. Uh, we will announce who loses every week on this podcast. <laughs> so submit your picks. If you want me, if you don't want me to read your name, give me an avatar. I'll make sure to put it on. We've already had like 25 to 30 people sign up already. So very, very excited for that. Um, and I'm getting everybody's picks in. And I, uh, you have till Thursday. So again, week zero did not count. Fortunately for Arizona fans, you probably all would have picked Arizona to beat Hawaii. So I think you get a break there. Uh, but starting week one, uh, it's it's one of the more popular things we do, and we're excited to do that. Uh, Max will be participating. Uh, Max is participating in a lot of our contests that we're doing. We're going to keep track of our picks as we move along in the season. But really good to have you, Max. Thanks for joining. No, great first episode, and let's go up from here. Yeah, check out all of Max's stuff. It's really good. If you liked what he talked about on this podcast, uh, the written material and the material he chooses chooses to publish on the site just excellent. He, he, Max, you were the one that introduced me to three man weave, which is an excellent college basketball podcast. Just, he has a really good eye for quality content and good advice when it comes to gambling. So uh, definitely check out uh, everything there. And is there a specific website people should go to Max? Yeah. I mean, well, um, well, so every week I'll be doing best bets for college football and uh, went one and zero last week. I took the Miami, Florida uh, first half under, 
which cashed. And then this week, uh, more games, so more picks. And then you can find those at si.com slash gambling. I love that under pick, by the way, but it was juiced to like 190 by the time I noticed it. So but I know, I know. <laughs> it was it was crazy because when I wrote about it, um, it was it was minus 110. But then the under uh, there were some books that had it. Uh, so I wrote it at 23 and a half under minus 110. And then there were some books that had it all the way down to 21 and a half. And then others, there was one sports book, DraftKings, that had 23 and a half and the under at minus 190, which you can't, you can't lay minus 190 on a first half total to start the season. That's, that's crazy. <laughs> um, another website to check out, sharpcollegefootball.com, is where all of Rob's beta rank numbers are on there. And that website is going to continue getting better, particularly as the season goes along and we're putting real football data into the, to the model. So it's not just projected, uh, you know, everything. It's actual the stuff that we're seeing on the field. So uh, check both of those websites out. Guys, thank you for coming along, and uh, we will catch you next week.